I think the biggest thing for us, which, which is very open and broad, but we believe that if we can get people back into nature, so we can get people like into the water, experiencing it firsthand, something happens, I think, with us as humans when we are in nature, whether you're like in a forest or whether you're in the ocean or in the snow, you something kind of like turns on, like a consciousness kind of turns on an awareness, a want to preserve that environment. So our approach is believing that the more people we can get in the water, the more people we can advocate for like getting into the water, that that awareness will kind of start to turn on and they will want to preserve and therefore seek out these methods of preserving the environment or supporting the environment in other ways. Welcome back to another episode of the Who's Saving the Planet podcast. Lexi Bobber here and I will be your host today. This is our show where every week we bring you stories of the innovators, entrepreneurs, activists, academics, people from all over the world and all walks of life who are building a more sustainable and just future. And today we return to an area that we spend a fair amount of time in because we think there's a lot of change happening and that's the world of fashion. The guest today is Abigail Lorick. She has a long career in fashion, first starting as a model and then creating her own fashion brand at the age of 25. Our conversation is about her newest venture, the company that we talk about today. It's Ansi Fashion. Now, two weeks ago, we had on the CEO of 66 Degrees North talking about the way that he was shepherding a company that was almost 100 years old into the present day while staying consistent to their values. And today, we have a creative director, a founder of a company that is less than a year old. Their first clothes hit the market in the beginning of 2020. And she's going to be talking to us, or we have the opportunity in this conversation, to discuss how you're going to infuse the principles that you believe in into a new, a new brand. So it's not only so much about what you are making, but why you are making the clothes. And that has to do with their commitment to sustainable practices in terms of the fabrication, the materials they use, but also the perspective which with, with which they sell and market these clothes. There was a distinct lack of a female perspective in women's swimwear and specifically surfwear, which was traditionally a male-owned industry, a male-owned segment of this. And Abigail believes that there's room for clothes that are marketed to women to be made by women to be able to empower that sense of ownership. So today I'm thrilled to bring you this conversation with Abigail, the creative director and founder of ANSI Fashion. And thanks again for tuning in. All right, here we go. Abigail, welcome to this episode of Who's Saving the Planet. We are so thrilled to have you on board today. Welcome in. Thank you so much. It is an honor to be here. Thank you. Where are you? Where are you calling in from? I am calling in from Amelia Island, Florida. It's the north, oh. northeast coast of Florida. Yeah, I'm not complaining. No, that doesn't sound too bad. I, I'm in Brooklyn and uh, we still have a bunch of snow on the ground. And my dog, who is totally a Southern Belle, is figuring out how to navigate it. And I, I, he's jealous of you too, as am I. I think we could all use a little sunshine right now. Yeah, it's nice. Pretty nice down here. And so that definitely brings into what we're going to be talking today, which is how we're going to combine 
the good things of being out in the sunshine with the stuff that we're going to need to do in terms of supplying people with the right kind of fashion apparel to make that worthwhile. That was a long way of saying we're going to talk about ANSI, your company. Thank you. Super excited to talk about that with you. Well, let's let's kick it off then to just um, understand a little bit about who you are and where you came from. So what were you doing before you co-founded this company or started this company? And then take us through a little bit of the origin story about how it came to be. So before ANSI, I was at Stance, which is a sock company in Southern California, San Clemente, California, which is like a little cute surf town. Um, and I was the design director there. And before that, I was at Cynthia Rally doing creative direction. I did some work with Andrew the Stories. My career is based in fashion in New York, though. That's where most of my career has been. And then I was approached by Solera Capital, which is a female-run private equity firm, female-found, female-run. And they had this idea to create a women's surf brand, by women for women's surf brand. And I just thought it was brilliant. And I was born and raised in Amelia Island, Florida. So I grew up around the water, grew up surfing, swimming, fishing, like living, you know, hair was green because we spent so much time in the chlorine. And so it was just, it was so awesome because it was the first time in my career that I got to like marry this love of the water and, and this passion of the water and then my career of fashion. So um, yeah, it was like a dream come true for me, a dream come true opportunity. Well, how did they find you? They found me because they had a consultant working for them, Brianna Lepofsky, and she knew me from back in the day through her works in brand consulting. And she just knew that, that, that I was, she knew about my brand. She knew about that. I love to serve. She just, when, when they said they wanted to do this, I was like the first name that came to her, to her mind. So it was, it was a perfect like synergy moment, you know? Do you feel as though there's just these tropes that get thrown around all the time where uh, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Like, do you think that when this happened, you're like, I've been preparing for this for so long and now it's here. This, this moment that you unbeknownst to you were, were prepping for. I mean, I, I have to say, um, and I think my, I feel like my whole career has kind of been like that. Like every next step that I take, I'm like, oh, okay, that's why this, this, and this happened. And this is prepared me for this. But this opportunity specifically was like, whoa, this is, I didn't know it could get this good. Why? So we, we had the opportunity to speak to a lot of people that are working specifically in fashion and apparel because it's a great place to have a new entrance to the market. And also it's so bad. So what makes this different? What makes what you guys are doing truly unique? in the market of swimwear? Well, we are fully sustainable. We're sustainable on many different approaches. We're sustainable in manufacturing. We're sustainable in uh, materials. We're sustainable also in design approach. So the way that we design, we're always thinking about sustainability and we're also sustainable in, in process. So that's one aspect of it. And then another aspect of it is just the, the brand pillars. Like we get to be, we, we get to be inclusive. We get to be, um, we're inclusive across like, not just age, but age, ethnicity. Um, and then also within the water. So it's about like, it's not about, okay, you're just a swimmer or, okay, you're just a surfer or, okay, you are a kayaker. Like we are jumping into the water and saying that we are speaking to 
everyone in the water and this opportunity to break down all these barriers that exist in the water. So it, it feels like a huge opportunity on a lot of levels, this brand. Interesting. Um, I guess when I asked, that's a great answer to the question, but it's so hard to communicate to people in a way to be like, here's an advertisement, know this about us. Yeah. You know, like when you're coming up the idea of we're not just clothes that are cheaper and more effective, but we're building a manifestation of an ethos. How do you go about capturing people's attention long enough to share that with them? For us, it is more just about it's taking time. Like we launched in February of 2000 of this year, 2020. And we are realizing that like you can't really for us as a brand we don't find value in coming out and saying like look we're this we're sustainable and look we're inclusive and we're doing this and we're doing that and blah, blah, blah. we find that for our success it's been milestones along the way you know so it's like an article that vogue writes about sustainability and then it's the textured waves girls talking and raving about our brand and why we've always supported inclusivity and then it's like larger women wearing our clothes and, and talking about how great they fit and how grateful they are that we're speaking to them. So these little like seeds kind of get planted and then they start to just grow and build like momentum in these different areas. But I don't think that there's a, a like silver bullet that checks all the boxes at once. I think that, and that is also, that is also part of like how you have to market these days is you have to kind of come at it from all these different angles and speak on all these different platforms and then it starts to kind of tell this full brand story so does that answer your question absolutely okay. and, but also it's like it's so hard right it's so hard it's to do hard. that it's so hard to be able to to have that iterative process um and it used to be i feel like it used to be easier i feel like a year ago you know or you know a year and a half ago it was like dtc brand you come out you, you know you have this approach paid acquisition okay boom 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 here you go and it's not like that anymore, for sure. <laughs> um, we are 100% going to talk about that later on, because you know how much I love talking about the ins and outs of internet marketing. Cool. But before that, I want to go back to the beach. Yeah. I'm, I myself grew up on the beach. I grew up in Southern California. And my wife loves laughing about the fact that I say I was a surfer because there was a, a she was like there's no way that you actually did that and I was like no I have a trophy from when I was eight years old to prove <laughs> I was once a surfer um and I remember that the dominant brands back then were Rusty and Billabong and Roxy specifically and oh I'm thinking about the way that you're talking about your ethos of marketing about how we believe in all those things and the only thing that I remember from growing up was like pretty people in very little clothes that were, you know, shredding and like looking awesome doing it. But there was no more there was and perhaps it wasn't necessary, but there was nothing more to it from that that was at least apparent. So, like, what did the world look like before you came to, to the fore with this brand that said, like, there's really a space for this? There's an opportunity for us to upend it. I mean, I think you just nailed it. Basically, it's that looking in all the magazines or look, you know, it's in looking online, looking in the into the campaigns. It's all like from a female perspective, it was all like skinny white girls, and that was just a huge red flag for us. And and also very young, a very young point of view. And 
it's such an opportunity because the ocean is like such a place for women of all ages. You know, you see like really, really old, beautiful women surfing and young kids, you know, getting on surf, surfing for the first time or, or swimming, whatever it is, you know, it's, it was a huge miss that they were just speaking to this very small demographic. And then also the size point of view, like there are larger women that are really good mm. at surfing and, and it was just such a miss. And then obviously the ethnicity, like, you know, we're, we're all about supporting, diversifying the water. It's very important to us. And, um, it's, I'm really grateful that people are really having those conversations now and, and getting behind women of color and, and all different backgrounds and supporting them in campaigns and supporting them in contact content. It's, it's really important. So when you said this was, you, you quickly brushed over it, but I think this is important to touch on is that you were approached by a private equity firm that also recognized this lack of, a product that is speaking to more than, you know, attractive white 22 year olds, yeah. girls, um, private equity is like, you know, kind of like a four letter word in some ways, but I think we're seeing that there are parts of it that are driven by things other than creating more shareholder value. So what was it like for you being approached by people that have capital and they do need to be responsible with that capital, but also have like an ethos, like a mission. Did you ever worry about, is, are we going to be driven by profits? How do I know that these people are going to actually support the vision of what we're doing? What happens if I have a down quarter? Like, what was that experience like? Yeah, well, well we did a lot of um, dating before marrying, I will say. So I got to spend a lot of time with the firm in planning and mapping out what this would look like. And obviously in that process, you know, I got to really fall in love with this firm and how they are really supporting minority groups and supporting, like, just kind of seeing the landscape of the world and what's missing on on a on a very on a level that that was very aligned with my values. So I, I mean, and and then also it's really awesome because the founder Molly Ashby, she was like one of the female pioneers on Wall Street. She's like this badass woman, and I was like, oh, like. It's so awesome to just, you know, chat with her and, and, and get her wisdom and be in that mix. Like, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, very impressive. And I'm, I'm really, I feel totally supported by them and always out from the beginning, they were always like, you know, it took some time, but then they were just like, okay, we trust you go do your thing. And they really let me build out the brand and they, you know, sustainability was a huge, a huge grand pillar for us. Um, but to them, it was really awesome because they were always like, yes, sustainability is a brand pillar, but we believe that everyone should be doing this. So it's just kind of like icing on the cake. It's not like, oh, we're, we're, we're only sustainable. That's all we do. It's yes, it's important to us, but it's one of like, it's among the three other things that we've been mentioning that are also important to us, you know? Did they also wrap in, you know, for those who don't, who have not subjected themselves to understanding what private equity is like continue not doing that. And I apologize for explaining it briefly in the next couple of minutes, but inherent to that is having a return on your investment over a period of time. So traditionally private equity companies would buy a company they think is undervalued and then create more value and then sell it again. That way they make more money was when you were talking about these other issues, was there ever a pressure of saying like, 
what's the time frame on this? What what is the period over which we need to return on our investment? Yeah, honestly, it's a conversation that we have had, but it's also an open dialogue. So it's like, this is the goal. This is where we want to go. But let's also see where we are and see if when we get to that place, if that's really the best move for the business. So I haven't felt this like, you know, with like whipping of the of the stick of like, you know, having to follow the plan. It does for us, I've been really lucky and it hasn't, it hasn't, I haven't felt that, you know. Well, I'm so glad that you haven't felt the whipping of the thing. <laughs> that would be that would be not great. Um but okay. I think a lot of people do, right? Like you can speak to that, right? That 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 can be part of the of a negative in working with private equity or any sort of investments. Investment. For sure. And that's why I wanted to take a minute to spend some time on it because I think if, if again, this is me interjecting my thoughts on here too. So please tell me if you disagree, but I think that we're going to need to figure out who the good actors are in places that are traditionally and very easily vilified. Right now, it's very it's very hot to say like big tech is terrible, and uh, you know you're talking about how it needs to be broken up and dispatched. But there's parts of it which are good, and in the same way, finance by and large has a fantastic history of doing terrible things for the planet in terms of short-term profits. However. There are people in those spaces that do believe in the right things and that are doing well. And it's important to also hear those stories so that we don't just broad stroke paint the entire sector as though it was, you know, a, a one. It was what is that word that starts with an M that means everything's the same? It was that one. It's a uh, myop, myop. My, I don't know that my one. It's all myopomy. Myopomy. That it's not at all the same. There are differences in it. So it's important to hear those stories of, of, you know, the private equity firms. And I shudder to say this, but the private equity firms for good. Yeah. They're there. They're out there. So you're at the point then where you've gone through this dating experience with this private equity. You're like, you know what? They actually, they seem like they're doing the real thing. Now, what are we actually going to make? What are we going to build? How has NC recrafted what goes into building swimwear in a way that is more sustainable? And what decisions did you have to make along that road? Mm -hmm. So our biggest point of difference from a design perspective is that we wanted to create products that she could wear in multiple environments. So thinking about her, you know, going for a long surf or swim, whatever she's doing at the beach and getting out putting a cover up on, but it's a cover up that's like cute enough, chic enough that she can wear it to the farmer's market. She can put on heels and earrings and wear it out to dinner in the city. Like really looking at base, you know, a more multifaceted approach to women these days, which is like, we do multiple, we're doing all these different things. We're not just doing one thing and then creating products that could support that. So it not only supports her in her day to day, but it's also a sustainable point of view because it means that this product can cover more things in your closet. So it's a less is more approach. Mm -hmm. We also take that in the point of view of like reversibility, like 95% of our swimsuits are reversible. We make an amazing bonded uh, Italian jersey um, that is also reversible. It's like a, a sweat, it's a sweatsuit, like a sweatshirt and a sweatpant. It's like super chic, but also reversible. Um, so thinking that you can also get more out of your closet, less is more approach. And then obviously like the, the sustainable approach within the process, you know, we, we try to make everything 
close to home as we can. Most of our products are made in New York City. Our bags are made in LA and then wetsuits have to be made overseas because nobody in America really knows yet how to work with the ULEX. And then in the materialization, so we use ULEX, which is a neoprene alternative to, um, it's a plant-based neoprene alternative. And then there's- Wait, um, wait, don't skip over that so quickly. What is that? I don't know what all of those words mean. I, mean, I certainly don't want to know what they mean together. I could maybe piece them apart individually. <laughs> What is neoprene to begin with? Like, oh, is that what a wetsuit stuff is in general? Yeah. Stuff that feels like a stretchy. Yeah. Uh, like, what is it made out of regularly? So, neoprene is basically like a rubber, synthetic rubber, and it's what most all wetsuits are made out of. Unless you see uh, Ulex, it's it's neoprene, and it's really bad for the environment. It takes a lot of CO two to produce it. It uses a lot of natural resources like limestone to produce it. And limestone. It limestone. When you get into the way they make these stuff now and there's ingredients, you're like, no way. Yeah. Come on, limestone? <laughs> it's literally something you need to wear in the water. The last thing I would have expected to go into something would be stone. But it is, it's crazy. Like now that we're starting to realize like what's in things that we use every day that we don't even. And that's the thing about neoprene is like most surfers do not know that it's really bad for the environment. So the other, the, the most I wouldn't say most important, but the other thing about neoprene is that it never dies. It's like they used to mm. use it to line landfills. Like that's how serious it is. So I believe the statistic is like 380 tons of it end up in waste every year. Um, so anyways, Patagonia, kudos to Patagonia, spent four years re researching and creating ULEX. And because Patagonia is so amazing, they're like, everybody can use this. They want to save the planet. So we are so grateful that we get to use Ulex. So we use Ulex. And Ulex is a plant-based alternative to neoprene. And it's made from this tree. It's called a hevia tree. And basically, they tap into the hevia tree. Kind of like, I think of it the same way you make, you get molasses or syrup. You know, they like tap into the tree and then this... <laughs> This liquid comes out, it's like this white milky liquid. And then they take it and centrifuge it with water, clean it out, take out anything that people could be allergic to, specifically latex, the, the latex allergy, um, clean it out and then uh, make it into these rubber sheets. It's not rubber, but uh, Ulex sheets. And then we can cut up and make, make our wetsuits from it. You know, I used to be, I guess I still am amazed at what we do as people to say, let's turn this into that. Until earlier this year, we had a podcast with a guy who makes clothes out of spoiled milk. That's. Oh, yes. Um, case Milk Casein, right? Yeah, Milk Casein. Exactly. Yeah. Mitero is the company. And we had this yes. conversation and I was like, all right, well, my mind is blown to the point where now I guess limestone and, and sapping trees to make a rubber substitute is. That seems totally, totally reasonable to do. I mean, like, and how do people come up? Like, how did they come up? I mean, I just, it's fascinating. Right. It's really fascinating. Right. It's like legit scientific work there. And so you've decided to to use this as the thing with which you are making your clothes because it is the more sustainable solution. But at what cost? So is it more difficult to make? Is it harder to source that material? Is it more expensive? Like why isn't everyone using Ulex instead of neoprene? Yeah, it's more expensive. It's like 
I would say 25% more expensive, 15 to 25%, depending on your, your quantities that you're doing. And it's not super accessible. So the supply chain of working with Ulex for us as a small brand wasn't super easy. Like neoprene is totally accessible, really easy to choose from and use, um, but Ulex is a little bit more diff difficult. I just think because not so many brands are using it and it's not, it's not um, so prominent in the space of developing wetsuits. Mm -hmm. We make our wetsuits out of it. And then we also make bags out of it. So we do like a really chic, large oversized tote bag and then like a little bucket bag. Um, so yeah, that's what we, that's what we use the Ulex for. Um, well, this question comes in from Christy Taylor, one of our faithful interns that would love to have joined us today, but because of my shortcomings with the technological world of Zoom was not able to, so that's on me. But she wanted to know if um, when you were starting this process, when you were feel, when you were like, all right, I want to be able to make something better. And we've just discussed the way that you've tackled that solution and the outcomes, but at any point, did it feel like it was going to be an overwhelming thing to have to approach in general? Like, were you having to boil the ocean or were you able to like piece that out into saying there's individual steps that feel manageable? I think like the mo most overwhelming part for us was I remember speaking to somebody from um, uh, Reclamation, you know, the brand, the, the clothing brand. Yeah. And she, she was like, you have to figure out what your thing is. Like, what's your thing? Are you, are you saving water? Are you, are you getting rid of plastic? Like, what's your thing? Is it electricity? Is it, you know, the workforce? Get, you know, all these. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even know. And I got really caught up in that for a minute, trying to figure out like, what was our one thing? And we just like took a step back and we're like, you know what, let's, see what we can do in every step of our course that is sustainable for us. And that's the approach that we took as a brand. And that's what's been best for us. So I think that in that moment, when I was trying to do like what this other brand was doing, what this one person was saying that I should do, I was like, oh, shit, like, why? I, oh, I don't, like, how are we going to, that's too much for us to figure out. Cause we don't know, we're, we don't know all the ins and outs of everything that, in production you know we just we're we're fashion designers and you know this the sustainability approach we had to just take it one step at a time and that's that's what we did and in doing that our ethos really really came into play and it so happened you, organically for us do you feel like that that process that evolution was well you just said it happened organically i always wonder about that where like sometimes you can't come whole cloth into knowing who you are without going through the process of discovering that and also listening to your customers and listening to the, to the communities that you serve and work with to say like, help us define who we are. Totally. <clears throat> and you learn stuff like, you know, in the process you learn, you know, from vendors, you know, meeting with people, Oh, Oh, we can do this. Or, Oh, we can do that. Oh yeah. Let's use that. Like we didn't have all of that information at our hands to start. So we never could have made those decisions off the forefront. Mm -hmm. So, Okay, one more question from Christy because she asked much more hard-hitting questions than I do, so I wanted to make sure you get in for her. Um, are there any areas of fashion industry or beyond that you want to make an impact on during your lifetime? Yes. Um, yes. The, the biggest thing for me 
that I'm really excited about that I is I believe is the future is is the closed loop that I'd like to be a part of the closed loop point of view. What is that? The closed loop point of view is where there is zero waste and it's a it's a take back approach. So when your consumer is done with their product, you take it back, you recycle it, you grind it up and then make a new a new product. So basically you're in this it's a circular a circular point of view with zero waste and mm-hmm. um that's most exciting to me and then you know from a values point of view i think that like we're shifting into a space where we need we're starting to see our world even more globally and that we're responsible for each other so working on a model that is taking care of people outside of our readily bubble that we all live in talk a little bit more about that what does that mean to you I mean, I think, I think it means, so say that we could, we could create a, like a closed loop, say we worked in a closed loop model, right. And we have zero waste. So, you know, you're, you're getting your take back. So basically your revenue model changes because you're taking the take back and that becomes your energy. Yes. You're adding some virgin to that recycled, but you have a little bit of excess. So what if we, in those models took that, that excess and somehow redistributed it to other parts of the world or redistributed it to other people who needed it more than we did. Hmm. What gives you hope? (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. We we can start at one place and get to another one. We're flexible here at Who's Saving the Planet. Because we got a lot of planets to save. You know, there's a lot of ways that people people come in and got to work on that. That's how I think we can say we can save the planet is by, you know, I think that we we have to really start seeing the world like that and understanding that we do live in bubbles and that we have a responsibility to help others that aren't, you know, weren't raised with with in the way that that didn't have all of the opportunities that we have. Yeah. Yeah. The Western world. For sure. Um I guess with that access to with these these abilities to communicate so far and wide with the advent of the Internet and what have you, we have more opportunity to see what the rest of the world is doing. And that other part of your brain that grows ever more slowly is the responsibility to take care of those things that you're seeing. Like perhaps we just that that takes a little bit longer to evolve that sense of accountability and responsibility. But I would like to believe that it's catching up to the convenience and the access and the immediacy with which we have all gotten drunk off of the last like 20 years. Yeah. 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 I I hope so. I I think so. I think that we're moving into that time. So here's one thing, and this is a little bit brass taxi, but this is something I'm always interested about is that like, it's not going to happen by itself and it's not going to happen quickly and one of the hardest things to communicate especially with like you know the the nuts and bolts of what you're doing is to be able to tell people like it may cost a little bit more in the short term but the benefits are not only like tangible in the sense that this thing is made better and will last longer but you get to be part of a community of people that are have the right values and are doing the right thing but how do you 
how do you tell that story to people in such a way that you're sort of like decoupling them from the tiny little lizard brains that we have when it comes to digital marketing and advertising, where it's like, I'm not willing to listen to any story that you have. Like, mm -hmm. how, how are you able to break into people's consciousness and to, to, in, to like incept them with that sense of purpose? I mean, our point of view with, I mean, there, there's a lot, a lot of different approaches, which kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that you have to come at it from all of these different angles. Right. But um, I think the biggest thing for us, which, which is very open and broad, but we believe that if we can get people back into nature, so we can get people like into the water, experiencing it firsthand, something happens, I think, with us as humans, when we are in nature, whether you're like in a forest or whether you're in the ocean or in the snow, you, something kind of like turns on, like a consciousness kind of turns on an awareness, a want to preserve that environment. So our approach is believing that the more people we can get in the water, the more people we can advocate for like getting into the water, that that awareness will kind of start to turn on and they will want to preserve and therefore seek out these methods of preserving the environment or supporting the environment in other ways. Hmm. That's one approach that we take and we believe in. And then another one is visually kind of showcasing like we don't do a lot of this but it, it you know some I've seen that this works for some some other brands visually showcasing like all of our, our swim is made from plastic bottles and carpets from landfills and so some people take like imagery of like and we've done a little bit of, of um you know sorry it's from plastic bottles fishing line fishing lines and carpets uh from from the landfill so we like imagery of like a turtle wrapped up in, you know, sweet turtle wrapped up in the fishing lines. And that kind of like is a gut to somebody's heart and, you know, pulls the emotion strength, which goes back to like emotional marketing, that, right. that point of view, you know, or the plastic bottles, like a woman's like swimming in plastic bottles. And it's like, oh, okay. Like that kind of triggering of the emotions is another way to the marketing approach obviously but oh, such a double-edged sword though i was in a meeting with our team where we just put out an ebook and we're going over this is like very inside baseball but like what facebook ad we want to use to test the market to see like what kind of cpas we can generate for email harvesting and all these things which is yeah i'm yeah i just threw up in my mouth a little bit saying all those things but it <laughs> is nonetheless the evils that are living in the 21st century and somebody was like what if we just had a polar bear on like a sheet of melting ice and we're all like, oh, yeah, I guess we should try that. Like, and I hate it sucks because it's like, that's not aspirational at all. And we need to get past that in terms of being addicted to the things that got us here for digital marketing and for the way that you need to play to the algorithm to engender some sort of emotional response, whether it's good or bad, because that gets you more clicks, which reduces your price. Like we just need to let all take a cold shower of that but it's so hard yeah. because there's not that many other great avenues out there right now to reach people at scale. I know. And it's also like, I'm a firm believer of like what you focus on grows, you know? So it's like they we're putting out that like kind of imagery. It's like, uh, it, 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 it leaves a bad taste on many levels. I think. Yeah. 
All right. Well, we can only solve one problem at a time right now, and we'll tackle the issue of digital marketing in the 21st century next time. Um, I have two questions for you to wrap up. The first is one that I always love asking, especially um, young, young entrepreneurs, which I will count you among the number of young entrepreneurs. What advice would you have given yourself three or four years ago when you were just beginning to go down this road? Um, oh, yeah. Um I mean, this is kind of cliche, but the advice that um, if you really believe something in your gut, don't listen to a bunch of people telling you that that's not going to work or that's not the future or that's not the right belief. I would definitely say that. I need that advice. As we talked about before this, I'm, I am a, an audience of one of that. Absolutely. There's some power to be had of just like, this must work. I do not care about your alternate vision of what the world will look like. Like a, a better one must prevail. Yeah. And you know it, like you feel it in your, in your gut. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Second and last question. What is the thing that has made you feel the most hopeful recently? Oh, okay. Yeah, this is, this is good. Okay. So, um, we are relaunching a brand with, um, again, with the, the private equity firm, we're relaunching this brand Calypso. Which was a great name, especially yeah. for the ocean. Excellent name. Yeah. And um, it's a little more elevated, like higher price point. You know, we say she's like the older sister of ANSI. She's like the ANSI girls swimming to the boat. This Calypso girl is taking the Zodiac. Like that's, that's the kind of vibe. Um, and we proposed to do a philanthropic lever to the brand. And it's not a philanthropic lever that, that we're saying, you know, this isn't, this is not the business model, but we're just adding this on when she checks out or when she purchases, you know, every time she purchases one item, we're going to do X. And they were all for it. And that was like so huge because I mean, it's a thing that they could have easily been like, oh no, we don't, what, like, we don't know. And they were for it. And it really, like, I'm really, I'm really feeling so hopeful from that and for that. And that we can like start to, to um, implement these like philanthropic levers to brands, even like heritage brands and things like that. I, I find it very, very hopeful. This goes back to the idea that, you know, not not all things are created equal for the better or worse. And so perhaps you can find resources that are both access to capital and won't eat your soul. Yeah. 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 OK, where can we find Ansi? Where should we go? Where should our listeners go to, to check you out? Give us all the tags and handles. So just go to our website. Um, the website is Ansi, A-N-S-E-A. Where did the name come from? Also, there's a surf spot. You should know Wind and Sea. Oh, I do know Wind and Sea. Yeah, Wind and Sea. Wind and Sea surf rats were notorious. <laughs> I absolutely know that. That was, that was right around from my favorite taco shop, too. Uh, the original Wahoos before it became a chain. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. The OG. Okay. That's impressive. Yeah. No, the OG, when it was like an actual lunch counter. Yeah. That, that's some history right there. The. <laughs> 
Um, the founder is also from San Diego and she's familiar with Wind and Sea. And so it's just a spinoff of that surf spot. Hmm. A-N-S-E-A. Cool. Yeah. So it's um, ANSI.co, C-O, A-N-S-E-A.co. And you can go there directly. Our handle on Instagram is ANSI, A-N-S-E-A. And uh, yeah, we just launched a fragrance that we are all in love with. And it's um, the creative approach for the fragrance. The intention for the, the fragrance is to ignite the feeling that you have at first light of surfing. Hmm. That is a that is an ambitious synesthesiatic experience that you are looking for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, we got lucky. We got to work with a really talented young up and coming female nose. That's what they call them. The people that that make their their noses. Um, so it's a really beautiful, clean fragrance that I highly recommend everybody trying. All right. Um, <laughs> More information will be in the show notes and what have you. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing not only the story of ANSI, but what you brought to the table, where you came from and broadening our perspective on how we're going to be able to save the world. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being here and chatting with you. Thank you. And be sure to keep in touch every time you do something new and cool. Make sure you let us know. I'll let you know. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Abigail. Thank you. That was Abigail Lorick, creative director and founder of ANC. Uh, you can find them at ANC.co, A-N-S-E dot C-O. And if you like that podcast and like what you heard, please rate and review us and tell a friend. All right. That's your story of Who's Saving the Planet this week. Tune in again for another one next week. Take care.